Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And a few of my favorite ordinary summer things are roses in my garden, a dash through the lawn sprinkler, and fresh corn on the cob, grilled. And a few of mine are watermelons so sweet that the juice runs down your face and stains your elbows, campfires that smell of sweet pine cones, and vanilla-flavored iced coffee with cream that can crack any face into a grin. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, Lisa Joe, you've been working hard, clearly, but summer, which is nearly here, I think almost officially, has to be about more than work, right? I mean, I sure hope so after we all survived the season of working from home and homeschooling from home. And it feels like we all just had summer with our children at home and are now heading into another summer. <laughs> That's right. It really does feel like that. I keep thinking, what will be... T- different now. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. So I, I propose that we do something here on the podcast that we've never done before. So our um, longtime listeners know that each season we um, switch out our podcast intro. Um, so I don't know if you fast forwarded through that, you might want to go back and listen. <laughs> so we switch up our podcast intro in order to highlight the ordinary things that we especially love that are bringing us joy in this season. And the cool thing is that I don't know how many introductions we've done, but we always come up with something new to share. I don't think we've ever repeated ourselves. Okay, so I am proposing that instead of just putting that new intro out there as we always do, we actually practice what we preach, I think, and stop and slow down and tell a few stories around the favorite things that we just shared in our intro. What do you think? I like it that we dig deeper into these ordinary favorites of ours. I think it needs to become a new tradition. So every new season when we launch a new intro, let's do that. Let's pause and not just sort of go through it like a grocery list, but let's unpack it a little bit like the gift that it is. I like that. Should I start you or you? I, start. I've already forgotten what you said. I remember mine. <laughs> Yours came first in the list, so I feel like I'm going to say, go for it, Christy. Okay, Unpack okay. away. Okay. So uh, the first thing I shared, my um, one of my favorite, and actually the word ordinary I don't know. Maybe we'll need to unpack the word ordinary because honestly, it's hard for me to even apply the word ordinary to these things. And yet they are a part of ordinary life in June here at Maplehurst. And that is my roses, the roses in my garden, which I think, I mean, you know, I love flowers. I love all flowers. I grow all kinds of flowers, but the roses, the roses are special. Well, Christy, you posted a picture on your Instagram a few, maybe a week ago now, of a rose that, okay, it's gonna. I'm going to give some clarity, some background before I say this next <laughs> sentence. This is coming from someone who's not really a gardener, does not really have that kind of green thumb, or does not write poetry about flowers. But when I saw <laughs> that photograph of that rose, this is going to sound so weird. I wanted to curtsy. Like, I felt like there was Aww. something royal 
about that rose. It was so exquisite. If you're not following Christy on Instagram, please stop right now and just pull up Instagram or click through the show notes. You'll be able to find us there. She's Christy Purifoy. And um, that rose, it felt like it needed an introduction. Like it was, Mm. I don't know, there was something about the quality of that rose that seemed royal. Mm. It was astonishing. Oh, Lisa Joe, I love hearing that because that is how I feel all the time in my garden in June, and I feel like, am I a crazy lady <laughs> to feel that way? So you're you're validating something in me, and I appreciate that because it's true. What I feel most of all when the roses have their first, it's called a first flush, their first flush of bloom in June, which is their best blooming of the year. They're most abundant. They're most perfect. You know, dew drops on rose petals. Insects haven't nibbled at the leaves yet. It's astonishing. And what I feel is a sense, like I want to, I want to wander through my garden saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> I do. I feel like they are as if there's no way that I have brought these forth. And truthfully, I haven't, right? I have just made a space for them and they are doing their own thing. And I do. I feel humbled. I feel unworthy. I feel grateful. And goodness, maybe that's a good posture to carry into summer. I don't know. But uh, I love the roses. I think too, yeah, your your desire to maybe curtsy or as if you're in the presence of royalty. Roses for me are um, the most storied flower. I mean, they come with names and histories and legends and myths and just powerful symbolism. And I think all of that matters. You know, things out in the world, the things we appreciate about our ordinary lives in summer aren't just the things themselves. They're all the memories and stories and everything, you know, the history that that they carry with them. And that that's especially true for me and these roses. What are some of the names of your favorite roses? I think that's one of my favorite parts about following you on Instagram is discovering the names of roses. (laughs) Yeah, I love, so right now blooming um, just beautifully is Lady of Shalott. Yes, that's the one I was thinking of on the poem, right? There's that famous poem, that's the name of the rose. Yes, comes from Tennyson, Idols of the King. And even if you haven't read Alfred Lord Tennyson, you have maybe read Anne of Green Gables, where she pretends to be the Lady of Shalott floating down the river. Um, so there's Lady of Shalott. So that, again, that's part of what I mean. They come with these histories and these stories. Um, I love antique roses, which often have French names. Um, I love Madame Hardy, which is a white white rose with this like perfect little green button eye. Um, I have no um, French accent, but I also love a climbing rose called Sombroy, which is beautiful and white and lacy and ruffly. What else is blooming? Oh, Queen of Sweden is blooming in my garden right now, which uh, I don't know why it has that name, but <laughs> it is a queen. It's a queen rose. Um, beautiful pale pink like. It reminds me of seashells, actually, like cupped, that kind of pearly pink that you get in a seashell. Um, I love all these roses that are scented. What else do I have? I Oh, I have Lark Ascending, which is gorgeous. It looks like it's lit up by... It, like like it carries its own light bulb inside of it or something. It's this lit up coral color. And Lark Ascending, I think that comes from classical music. I can't remember. I'll have to research that. It's, um yeah, it's an opera or something. <laughs> so Lark Ascending, again, so if you know about music, that's going to mean something to you. Um, but aren't the names wonderful? They're so wonderful. I want like the backstory, you know, remember mm-hmm. how MTV used to have that show called Behind the Music? Mm-hmm. I want to know, how do you... 
tell, talk to those of us who don't know, like what's the lifespan of how roses come to be? Like, did you buy these as bushes? Did you plant them as seeds? How long does it take before you have that giant bush and those gorgeous roses? Do you always have to wear really careful gloves? Are they very prickly? Mm-hmm. Do you cut them and bring them in? <laughs> how long do they bloom for? Like, I feel like I need a little bit of walking in the garden with you as you explain to me the lifespan of growing roses. Oh, good. I'm happy to do that because it really is one of my favorite things about summer. And it's also a case of, okay, so we, this is a storytelling podcast. We're always training stories on this podcast. And probably the most important decision you make anytime you're telling a story is where do you begin, right? Where, what is that first sentence? Where in time do you begin? And so honestly, Lisa Joe, do I begin with my own flower garden and the first rose I ever planted? Or do I go back to all the summers of my childhood in Texas where my father was growing roses, roses that I noticed and appreciated, but also sort of took for granted. They were just the the backdrop to um, childhood summers, he also would take us. There's a very special place in Texas. So if any of our listeners are near Independence, Texas, you can visit the Antique Rose Emporium. Doesn't that just sound romantic? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So my dad would take uh, his four kids to the Antique Rose Emporium where they sell very special antique roses, some of the old, old varieties that my own pioneer ancestors would have brought with them into Texas. Um, So I could begin the story there, or I could begin with my garden here at Maplehurst. And I knew nothing about roses other than that my father grew them, and I never thought I could grow them. But Lisa Joe, I had a vegetable garden when we first moved here. I wanted to grow vegetables. I was new to that too. And I got a catalog of uh, vegetable seeds. So I I was looking through this catalog to pick out the seeds I would order for the vegetable garden, but just past the section on vegetable seeds was a tiny little two-page spread with roses. Oh, they know how to get you. Yeah. And each <laughs> rose, it wasn't just a picture and a name. It was it was just a little description, like a little story, right? Yeah. And the stories drew me in. And I remember reading on that page about a rose called, again, forgive the accent, <laughs> Blanc, Blanc Double de Coubert, I think. I'll check that. Blanc Double de Coubert. Uh, it's a rugosa rose. So very rugged, very healthy. But the description, the little story said that it had that true rose scent. Oh. Like grandmother's perfume, that true rose scent. And I thought, I have I have to smell that. I, I need that <laughs> in my life. You need like a scratch and sniff ad. <laughs> so that's really where it started. I just thought, you know what? I'll just tack it on. I'll add it to my order. And I did. And so what came actually is called a bare root rose in late winter, early spring. You actually get in the mail in a package this thing that looks like a knobbly tangle of twigs. And what it is is a a a dormant rose with nothing growing on it yet, but it's been growing in some grower's field and they've dug it up dormant, has no leaves on the canes, um, and it has these sort of stiff, stick-like roots. It looks like nothing. I mean, it looks scary, if anything, but you bury those roots the, the little canes that have been cut back are sticking out of the ground. So it's it just not looks a like tuber. a few sticks, a few sticks poking out of the ground. So not a tuber, like a like not mm-hmm. a tuber, mm-hmm. like a tu- not a bulb. No, no, like Mm-mm. sticks, like root sticks. Yep, exactly. It's really like a shrub. 
so a rose is really a shrub. If you huh. think about a bush, um, that's what a rose is. It's, okay. it's just a bush with, you know, a flowering <laughs> bush or shrub. So yeah, that's what you plant. And um, it's amazing in the spring how quickly they leaf out and, and, and bloom. But the thing about roses too, uh, which is something to look forward to, is that that first year they'll be nice. But the second year and then the third year, that's when they have fully settled in. They've really grown in. They are now at their full size. And it's always astonishing to see the difference between that first year rose you've planted and that rose in year three and four and five. It's it's really fun. But so the first year, even though all you have is a bunch of sticks, roses actually bloom? That's surprising mm-hmm. to me. They do. They do. I have I've planted a few bare roots this spring and they're small. They look like very tiny little shrubs, but they do have flowers on them. Now, yeah. if what's the difference between that and then going to like a nursery and buying a rose plant? Right. You can go to a nursery and buy a rose already potted up. Um, and that the nice thing there is that you can see exactly what you're getting. You can see the color of the blooms. You don't have to wait for it to to bloom in order to be sure you've got the right one because sometimes mistakes do happen. Um, the difference there is that you can plant those really any time of year. They can go into the ground. They don't have, I have found at least, quite as extensive or, or established a root system. So um, they look really great on top, but you're going to need to give them some extra water and so on in order to make sure that they um, they don't dry out because they don't quite have the the big root system to support all those leaves. But but they do great. That's a great way to buy roses. So there's definitely a metaphor lurking in there that you can buy yeah. the one that looks like it's all beautiful or you can buy the one that You're looks right. dead and the dead one is going to be stronger. <laughs> that's crazy. That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks for asking all those good questions. I, I could go on and on, but I promise listeners we will not turn this into a rose podcast. <laughs> I just, I think it's because I'm homesick for Maplehurst, like really badly. You, When you yeah. post those pictures, there's a part of me that appreciates better, I think, what it's like for our listeners to hear us talk about Maplehurst without being there, you know, because you do, you feel that tug of home and wanting to visit in person and the roses have done that for me. Mm. But when I think about Maplehurst, one of the things I do think about there too is that you guys, you're very good at your your drinks, by which I mean the coffees and the teas, <laughs> like the mixed drinks John makes in the evening, like attention has been paid. And it's one of the reasons, one of the things in my list of favorites is vanilla flavored iced coffee with cream. And, you know, I love Starbucks as much as the next girl. I'll do Dunkin' Donuts, too. But it really was watching friends who serve these drinks at home that made me long to do better at doing this at home. And it started out just being for my own pleasure, just something that adds joy in the morning, especially in the summertime. And so I bought, you know, cheap glass mason glasses. Mm -hmm. And I actually went and bought... Instead of even the paper straws, because you can get really pretty paper straws, I went and bought the metal straws. Oh, that, yeah. And the ones we got are so pretty. And I, I feel like we just got them at maybe at Michael's, you know, like a craft store way back in the day when you could still go out to the stores. <laughs> but they are silver, but it's actually deceptive. They're that kind of, I don't know what it is they've done to the material where it's reflective, right? So like when you turn it in the light, it catches all the colors. It's really, really pretty. And they have a little bend in them too. So they're not just straight, they're angled towards your mouth. And I have learned how much joy there is in getting up in the morning and taking a glass, a mason glass, filling it half with ice, 
I don't make the coffee from scratch. Some day, some days I do, but I'll also just buy at the store, you know, like a, a dark roast cold iced coffee you can get in the fridge section and pour the coffee in and then pour in like a half and half and add some sweetener. Usually I get vanilla flavored and then putting in that metal straw. And so my sons though caught onto this and started asking me, what are you making? You know? And I start to count down to summer when I know in the mornings I'm no longer craving something hot, but I'm craving something cold. And it really is an emotional trigger to let me know we're in summer now. This is summer season. So I started making these drinks, but my teenage sons, who I'm sure yours are the same, are sleeping in till like noon. I always thought that was a myth that teenagers sleep that much, but my word, my word, like, and they get up at noon as if they've, you know, like had a hard day's night, you know, that <laughs> somehow like it's justifiable and they walk out like with these exhausted faces and you can't talk to them. They're not ready to engage the day yet at all, but... They will squint at me at my glass of coffee and say, well, what is that, mom? Can I have one? (laughs) And I realized if I started making it for them, that would become my summer job. And I was not interested (laughs) in that job. So I said, gather ye round, young humans who are so giant. And I put out the glasses. I got out the ice and I showed them the ritual of making iced coffee. And today, actually, we were busy doing a big cleaning and getting ready because we have guests coming over. And my teenager emerged around noon, looked at me over the rims of his glasses when I assigned him some cleaning tasks, grunted, walked into the kitchen, and then immediately started taking down his glass and his ice and his straw. And I mean, they also, you can get mason jars of different sizes. And he takes like the giant, like, mega size it's like several quarts i feel like (laughs) fixes himself this huge iced coffee takes the first sip of the day and looks over at me and just grins and you know it's funny as i parent older children you realize those moments of connection are what you're constantly looking for so when you're parenting toddlers they're delighted to come show you every treasure every cheerio they found on the ground everything is joy everything is connection you're trying to detach them is what you're trying to do (laughs) But with teenagers, you're trying to get attached again. You don't want them to quite yet detach completely, but they're tethered by a very fine thread to you. It's not like sort of the huge structural thing that's holding you together with a toddler. And when a teenager has those moments where they look over at you and wink through their glasses, you know, (laughs) while they're just wearing their boxers and their big strapping body, and you can see how they are no longer a toddler, but they share that moment with you inside you're like doing cartwheels because you're thinking victory is mine victory is mine (laughs) they still love their mommy but of course I don't do that right I just wink back and raise my glass in a cheer (laughs) but for some reason iced coffee has just become like this really tender ritual of summer and I said to my kids is it bad that I'm teaching you this love of coffee so young (laughs) like is this terrible (laughs) And I, someone's going to judge me for this because my nine-year-old daughter, she loves it too. And she was like, no, mom, it just means you're a great mother. You're a great Aww. mother. <laughs> but it well, is, Lisa I, jo- I think if you add enough cream, it dilutes the caffeine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It dilutes the coffee just enough. It makes, it's like, uh, it's like sweet milk. Basically. Actually, speaking of sweet milk. So I, I have something that might uh, up your iced coffee game even more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So I don't know when you were last here at Maplehurst, if you've used our little, it's a very kitchen appliance is overstating it. It's a tiny little um, foamer, milk foamer. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. I don't know if you remember it. So it's just a little pitcher that sits on a little base and it's entirely used for foaming milk. Um, a very inexpensive little thing. It was actually a gift to us from some dear friends who stayed with us. Um, I think I tried to serve them iced coffee while they were here, and it didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, I know what you need. And and after they left, they sent this to us, my dear friend, Oon. Um, so the, the foamer has three settings. So that means in winter, you can pour in your milk. Um, and in our house, some of us do regular milk and some of us do almond milk. And I'll be honest, during this quarantine, I even experimented with hemp milk. So <laughs> any kind of milk, put it in there and uh, you can choose your buttons. So there are two buttons for, I like to think of them as the winter buttons. So in winter, <laughs> you hit one of these and it foams your milk up until it's almost like whipped cream, but it heats it as well. So you can have warm or hot. Or there is the summer button, and that one foams it and whips it up, but keeps it cold. So this time of year, we're doing iced coffee as well, um, but we're, we're using that cold button. Also, actually, my kids, so my younger two who, who don't do any kind of coffee um, yet, frequently, I now find them. Uh, because I, too, taught them how to use the foamer because I realized it was becoming my right, job. Right. So they know how to use the, the foaming machine now, the little pitcher. And they will put milk in a couple times a day foam it up. Um, usually for them, they, they warm it. And then they add uh, honey. And what do they call it? They call it their foamy milk. That's what they call it. Oh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm having some foamy milk, mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, we're big believers in foaming here as well, both hot and cold. So mm. 100%, we're ruined for any kind of regular milk products these days, I think. <laughs> but it's funny how that's, could there be anything more ordinary than milk or coffee, right? And somehow... That experience is a taste that I hope my children will always associate with home and summer in their mother's house. Yeah. Speaking of associations, um, this next one on my list is because I've been thinking about summers when I was a kid. And so the, the next uh, ordinary favorite ordinary summer thing I mentioned was a dash, a dash through the lawn sprinkler. So when I was a kid, um, that's how my father would water our grass in Texas. So it was just a frequent summer thing that we would put on our swimsuits. And, um, you know, we didn't have a backyard pool or anything like that. So we would put on our swimsuits and we would just run through the sprinkler while my dad was using it to, to water the lawn. And I was thinking about it recently because I bought a new sprinkler for my own garden. And it's a really nice sprinkler. I like it. I like how it <laughs> you can adjust it and it can go really soft or it can really whip around. And it sits up about two feet from the ground so you can really see the water. I don't know. I like it. And I think it was the new sprinkler that made me remember those childhood days and made me think, you know, I want to put on my swimsuit and run through this sprinkler. (laughs) Maybe I can get Elsa to do it with me. (laughs) I love it. So we haven't done it yet, but it's on my list. And mentioning it today um, in that introduction, it's like my promise to myself that I I will do this. I will try to be a kid again in this way because that, I mean, really, that's what summer is for. If we can find some way to connect our adult summers where we still have to work, we still have responsibilities. And in this time, especially, there's a lot that is hard and heavy and burdensome. 
more than ever, I think, if we can find at least a few moments, make space for a few moments where we can feel like we can tap back into the that childhood joy that summer always brought. So for me, I think I think it will be a run through the sprinkler. I love that. It's true. Summer does ping childhood connections in a way like nothing really does because those are the days of freedom and tan lines and sand in your swimsuit and sticky fingers all the time I feel like for me watermelon (laughs) I mean for me watermelon and I know I've talked about this before on the podcast but watermelon needs to be experienced and handled you know like not chopped up in a polite bowl like you need a big old (laughs) slice of it in your hands and you need to bite into it and the juice needs to just squirt everywhere and I confess when I'm in the store these days and they have these big ads for seedless watermelons, like a part of me dies inside and I feel sad. And I want to say, what a cop out, (laughs) like growing up. (laughs) The thing about watermelon is it's full of these big black pits and you spit them out and you're standing outside and the watermelon is dripping down your face and you're drooling and eating and spitting. And there's just something about it that felt so primal and so much a part of childhood And I feel like somehow watermelon got sanitized and I keep trying to go back (laughs) to the roots. And so my kids will always say, why do you keep buying the watermelon that isn't seedless? You know, you can get seedless watermelon. And I'm like, I will not have it in my house. (laughs) I mean, that's not true. We get it. But I have such an affinity for watermelon with big old seeds because of my childhood. I love it. That speaks to me too. And I, I also think I have shared on the podcast in the past that uh, watermelon, messy watermelon eating was a big part of my childhood. <laughs> we would visit my grandmother's farm in Comanche, Texas. And I remember those hot, sticky nights where someone would take a truck out to the field and bring back watermelons. And we would, there were so many because they grew there um, at the farm that uh, it was almost in memory like you could have one whole huge watermelon to yourself. And of course, they weren't these little icebox melons with no right. seeds, like right. these with little no character shapes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They're like no, those these big were old... massive yes. Texas watermelons yes. with huge black seeds. And they came in shades like vivid pink red. And also, I don't know, would you have had these same varieties in South Africa? Uh, yellow, like, like almost golden yellow watermelons. That yeah. I have never seen. But no, the dark pink flesh. And I remember this every summer this happens. And it's funny how I realized like, oh, there we go. It's happening again. A few weeks ago, we cut open our first watermelon of the season. They had just relaxed the stay-at-home order in Maryland. We went over to see another family that we hadn't seen in months. And I cut into the watermelon. And as I really ripe watermelon too will kind of crack apart, you know, it makes that crack sound. And I I don't know if you do this, but I always do this. Before I cut slices, before I chop it, before anything, I take the knife and I cut a square right out of the very heart of the center and I just uh. eat it. <laughs> and Zoe was there and she took a bite too. And we both just looked at each other and then tried to speak through our mouth full of watermelon. And instead it's this mumble, right, with all the drool. And she was like, oh, this is so good. It's so, mm, it's summer, mom. It's summer. <laughs> Oh, that was good. so it great. Is, and I, I feel like watermelon season like that, it's almost like a shotgun going off that crack as you crack open the watermelon announcing it's summer. It's summer. Everything is about to get better and sweeter and freer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the messy is part of it. That's why we eat our watermelon and then we 
jump through the lawn sprinkler. Yes, or yes. I think you could say the same for the the third uh, favorite summer thing that I mentioned, which is fresh corn on the cob, oh, yes. uh, but grilled, which is how we love to eat it. It's so, so good. But of course, corn on the cob is messy. It's messy to prepare. I mean, you have to clean it with yes. all the silky threads that, that get yep. everywhere. It's messy when you eat it because you can't eat it without it getting stuck in your teeth. <laughs> no. and, my own kids have this thing. So kind of like your kids who want the seedless watermelons, my kids. So years ago, I used to follow this um, uh, Ina Garten, Barefoot Contessa uh, cookbook lady, if any of you know her. <laughs> I used to follow her method for sauteed corn where she would slice off the kernels of all these cobs and she'd end up with this big bowl of just the kernels and then she would saute them in a skillet, I think just with butter, I guess. I don't remember. I haven't done it in a while. So I did that a few times. Um, I should not have ever done that because then <laughs> my kids this decided <laughs> this is the way to eat corn on the cob, right? Is to have mom in the kitchen slicing every kernel off the cob so that it's easy to eat with a spoon. You don't get it stuck in your teeth so much. Um, it's not you're not holding it with your hands. You know it's not so messy. Um, so I don't do that any longer, Lisa Joe. But now when we serve corn on the cob, inevitably my children will say, "Please cut my kernels off, please." <laughs> right. <laughs> and I refuse to do it, but my husband is a pushover, and John will do it for them. <laughs> he will. Oh, I refuse as well. I'm like, you're old enough. Cut it off, man. But it is delicious. <laughs> like, that is one of my favorite treats. My dad will still cater to that kind of thing when we're home in South Africa and even do it for me sometimes. <laughs> There's something comforting about a dad, right, who's like, I'll do it for you. Yeah. I love that. Corn on the cob. I could actually, right now, I have like a visceral feeling of that threads stuck in my teeth. Like, I actually can feel like that's happening right now, but it's worth it. My last one is campfires that smell of pine cones, sweet pine cones. And it's funny, it's not something I've experienced a lot here in the States, but the other day, Peter, they've been doing a lot of yard work and cleanup after winter season. And so there's stuff they're blowing out, you know, that got trapped along the fence line or deep under the trees. And so they've been hauling it all in to burn it. And so there were some branches that had fallen off the pine trees near our house and they were burning those. And when the smell hit me, it was like going home in an instant. It was so powerful. And where we lived in South Africa, there were a lot of tall pines, especially around the home of one of my childhood best friends, Dorothy, who I've talked about here on the podcast quite a bit before. We're still friends. We've known each other since first grade. She had an amazing battle against cancer this last year and won. And finished her PhD at the same wow. year. She is fierce. And her parents' house that we used to spend a lot of time at growing up had pine trees on the property. And I just remember pine cones. And if we made fires or we cooked to have a barbecue, which we would call a braai, they would cook pine cones. You know, pine cones would be part of the fire. And that smell that hits you of the pine needles and pine cones and the meat and it just, you know, all of that combines into this this odor that you wish you could bottle up because it's the smell of home and summer all combined into one. And pine cones are sticky and so are pine needles. If you hold them wrong or you if you walk on them, your shoes can have that gum <laughs> come <laughs> on them for weeks afterwards. But But all of that, that at the time when you're a child and you're taking it all for granted, that feels like inconvenience. As an adult, when you are hit with those smells or the crunch or those memories, immediately it's like being in a living scrapbook where you can step right back in to a very specific time in your own life. 
Mm-hmm. I think I'm noticing a a theme, a thread here, and that is so many of these pleasures, these ordinary summer pleasures are inconvenient, messy, sticky, even maybe uncomfortable. I mean, honestly, I could say more about running through the sprinkler, and that is I loved it as a kid, but I also hated the feel of wet grass yes. on my feet. Yes. I hated it. What is that? It's like <laughs> the water is so great, but then the grass gets mushier and mushier and muddier, right. and it's just gross. Right. I hated it. And so whether it's sticky watermelon fingers or, you know, the popsicle that like now everything (laughs) sticks to you or the sticky pine resin. I mean, all of that is kind of, it's not like an easy pleasure. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's very, um, what is the word? Like uh, sensory and not always in a good way. (laughs) But I feel like, okay, there's a metaphor for me. I mean, summer is that way for me. It's too much often. It's too hot. It's too sticky. It's too much time as a family. It's um, it's too, you know, the days are maybe too long and I go too, you know, I do too much and I don't get enough sleep. And so it can be all this kind of too much. But um, each summer I have learned almost like a discipline to say, yes, this is going to be too much and I'm going to drink it in. I'm going to be there for it. I'm going to show up and I'm going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> But I'm going to show up because this is summer and it doesn't last forever, unless you're in Texas where it does feel like it lasts forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good word, especially as we head into the summer after essentially all doing summer with our kids at home. It's a good word of encouragement. I needed to hear that too, that it will be too much, that at times it will be inconvenient and tiring and sticky and you'll wish that you could just take a shower and rinse it all away. But you you kind of get to, you know. Each day we get to start again, and it's beautiful. And I I know how many times you felt frustrated with your garden and overwhelmed by your garden, tired of your garden, and stung in your garden, mm-hmm. and pricked by thorns. But man, when you see the photos of those roses, you realize, oh, oh, there you go. There's that moment. And that's why this intro for us is that. It's kind of, I think about these favorite things of ours, kind of like a Polaroid photograph. It's just snapping an instant, a moment. But when we sit down and we tell these stories, it's like getting to watch the video, the the highlight reel. And that's going to be my prayer as we head into the summer, to remember to take Polaroids of these moments that have got definitely inconvenient elements to them, but to focus on the photo of the rose and that those are the memories our kids are going to hold on to because they are not going to remember the inconvenience in the same way that we live it. They are going to, as adults one day, close their eyes as they bite into a slice of watermelon (laughs) or take their first sip of iced coffee with a frother or cut corn for their own kids. My goodness, and they will remember these moments too. That's true. And so whether, you know, you're our, one of our Northern Hemisphere lis- listeners and you're heading into summer or um, you're remembering summer, it's just past, you're in the Southern Hemisphere. Thanks for just, I guess, a bit of a nostalgic journey into summer past with us and whatever the season ahead brings to to show up for it, to be present and to receive the gifts that are there. I think often I come back to this idea of blessing as something that is so good, but not easy. (laughs) You know, blessings are, they're like rain after a drought where you're so glad, you're so grateful, you needed the rain, but now uh, you're wet and those sharp raindrop needles and it's too much. And you know, that that's to me like what blessings often feel like. So I'm eager to to receive the blessings of summer, but I know I'll be tempted at times to run and hide, (laughs) hide out under my umbrella, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try just to show up. And I think naming it 
telling the stories like about running through the sprinkler um, just makes it that much more likely that I'll notice it when it's happening and be present for it. So I hope that's true for our listeners as well. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.